Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The History Channel Original Podcast. What's better than a sandwich? Two slices of bread, a little spread, a little meat. Heck, maybe even just a PB&J. But from an eating standpoint, I mean, I love the simplest peanut butter and jelly all the way up to complex creations made from delis and restaurants. I mean, you can't go wrong either way. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to Ed Moon, the chef instructor at the Culinary Institute of New York at Monroe College. Who doesn't love a sandwich today? From a practical standpoint, it's easy to transport. Whether you call him a hoagie or a sub or a hero, pretty hard to beat. And they're certainly convenient. You don't necessarily need a lot of refrigeration. You don't need a lot of utensils. It keeps your hands pretty clean. I mean, there's a reason 47% of Americans eat a sandwich every single day. And they consume over 100 billion each year. But back in the early 1960s, the most iconic sandwiches in America, submarines, were an Italian food, not yet consumed by the masses, until three of New Jersey's beachgoers got an idea. That's today. This is The Food That Built America, stories of innovation, taste, and good eats. Today, we'll tell the story of how sandwiches grew from finger food to lunch staples, and how three friends helped pioneer what we know today as a sub sandwich. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. The story starts with three guys from Hoboken, New Jersey, spending their time on the Jersey Shore. They later told it this way. They were hanging out in Point Pleasant, a shore town, and were struck by a sub sandwich shop they found called Mike's Submarines. You know, all this lettuce and tomatoes, you know, and onions, just all this great stuff. It basically looked like a salad. Meat topped with shredded lettuce and tomato drizzled with oil and vinegar, stuffed between two slices of bread. Here's Jason Liebig, a snack food expert. He says the three guys, they saw something new and exciting that they could sell. They really believed in this idea of the salad on a sandwich and being able to sell this big old sub-sandwich sub to people and this big old hero hoagie, you know, grinder <laughs> to people. They believed in it and they knew it was something that they could sell to America. Immediately, they were intrigued. And I know what you're thinking. This sounds like a sandwich. What's the big deal? But this was actually really significant. They were putting all this salad stuff on top of the bread and meat. That's a pretty revolutionary idea if you really think about it. The fact that you can take a salad, wrap it up in paper, take it and have it over a lunch break or take it on a picnic. You know, the people were not taking uh, salads to their, you know, to their construction jobs in the past, but this time they could. This was a new concept to people. So who were these guys with this big idea? Let's back up and introduce the three friends. Ah, uh, Tony Kanza, co-founder of Blimpy. Tony Kanza is 
this sort of Steve Jobsian, great American entrepreneur. You know, the guy had big ideas. You know, he sort of could see things five steps ahead of other people. So he sort of saw the way things were going to a point. The guy wasn't infallible, but he had big personality. He had this great mustache. Tony's charismatic, good leader, great pitch man and salesman, basically a born entrepreneur. So even before he started making sandwiches and selling them down, you know, in Jersey, he knew he wanted to do something. He wanted to make something and make it big. And his friend, Pete DiCarlo? He was a detail guy. He was an implementer. So he was the guy who was sort of the guy, okay, he took, you know, he took Tony's big ideas and said, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And we need this, this, and this in place before we can possibly do that idea. The guys worked well together, and in this sub-sandwich, they saw a huge opportunity. Why? Two words. Fast food. Fresh ingredients mixed at McDonald's go into the tangy tartar sauce, a recipe created by a world-famous chef, filet of fish sandwich. It takes two hands to handle a Whopper, cause the burger's a bigger at Burger King. It was clear that people wanted a faster way to eat. Kanza and his friends wanted to take a bite out of the big burger empire. And this huge uptick in fast food consumption was also facing a backlash and a government effort to scale it back. In 1964, the government recommended Americans reduce their daily food intake by a few hundred calories. This is Bryant Simon, history professor at Temple University. People are increasingly relying on convenience foods. People are increasingly relying on cheaper foods. All of those foods have dangerous numbers of calories. Conza and DiCarlo wanted to divert customers from more calorie-dense fast food options, take a bite out of the big burger empire. But first, they needed to come up with a name. The co-founders had to really sit down and think about what they wanted to call this new sandwich. And so they literally sat down with a dictionary and they started going through from the A's and they came up to the word blimp. And they're like, ah, okay, this, you know, this sandwich is shaped like a blimp. It's this big thing. And so, you know, that they said that maybe this could be it. Blimpy it was. So it speaks to the shape of the sandwich, but it also is just a catchy name and speaks to how big it is, right? It speaks to this big, you know, big bready piece of sandwich. But it was also a great name because it allowed them to distinguish themselves in the siloed sandwich world. People called a sandwich a sandwich, but some called a long roll sandwich a sub and others called it a grinder, hero, or hoagie. The co-founders wanted to call this its own name. Subways and subs are very much a Northeastern tradition, although now they are, of course, nationwide. But there's many ideas about what to name them and what the proper name is and what the proper derivation is, as there are dialects and accents in the United States. They weren't a sub shop, they weren't a hero shop, they were Blimpies. With a brand new name, Blimpy saw an opening in the marketplace and pounced. This premise would be the basis of their chain, one that would revolutionize how we eat and sell fast food. Still, this sandwich wasn't going to hold back in any way. Here's Dave Holmes, editor-at-large at Esquire magazine. 
it's very weird to me that Blimpy came up at the same time as like aerobics and fitness culture and, you know, Americans beginning to sort of watch what they eat and count their calories and count their carbs. For them to rise up as they have with a name like Blimpy is astonishing. If you are conscious of your weight, you might not find yourself eating at a Blimpy. It's true. The sandwich was kind of big. And what started as a healthier option has veered away from those confines. And so the advent of the sub into American culture really gave us just this ability to feast on a sandwich. It was something like out of the Flintstones. You know, you'd be like, ah, it's a huge bite. So with this new name and this new idea of what a sandwich could be, Kanza and his partners were almost ready to hit the marketplace. But first... They thought long and hard about what to put inside the sandwich. That's because back then, sandwiches looked a little different. The U.S. sandwich game was kind of weak, right? You look a couple slices of bread, maybe some cold cuts. It seems a little anemic. I'll let Ed Moon explain it. He's the chef instructor at the Culinary Institute of New York at Monroe College. Initially, like a lot of other things, making a sandwich was just basically putting stuff between two pieces of bread. But as things got analytical in time, they broke down the sandwich to understand what it is that makes a good sandwich. They analyzed the bread, they analyzed the spread, they analyzed the main ingredients, and they analyzed the garnishes as well, the lettuce, tomato, onion. And they have actually come up with the formula for a successful sandwich. And um, it's generally bread, spread, Meat, garnishes, spread, bread. Um, And there are purists. I mean, look, try to put the lettuce underneath the ham. That'll start a couple fights. Kanza and DiCarlo really struggled over this question. How exactly should you construct the perfect sandwich? And what they decided on at first was basically an Italian sub. They started really with this format of these very Italian ingredients. So they were looking at like capicola and these things American palates were not familiar with, these ingredients. But then they pivoted. And so what they very smartly did was they said, okay, look, we're going to Americanize. And they leaned in on things like turkey, you know, and so they started giving people, you know, ingredients they knew, ham, and these different, these different sort of things they knew. And so they really did what a lot of food entrepreneurs do. And it was fresh and exciting, and it made the sandwich universal. Sandwich shops tended to be more local, more independent, and fiercely regional, featuring a lot of the dishes and food items that their region was known for. For example, uh, the Philly cheesesteak, Baltimore crab cakes, the lobster roll in New England. Jason Liebig remembers his first exposure to Blimpy. So I had an order that was a lot of lettuce, a lot of onions, and hot meatballs. Yeah, that was it. My meatball parm with onions and lettuce. It was pretty basic. It was the, it was the salad and sandwich, but with a whole lot of extra meat. That was my favorite. There was something cool about Blimpy. So I still remember Blimpy being, you know, a little edgier, a little, you know, a little less safe. With their big sandwich ready to hit the market, the friends opened shop. So... 
They started out, and you know, they started out with one store. They were making the sandwiches themselves and doing all this. One store turned to two, and then two, three. They were growing quickly. One of the reasons this was such a boom? A strategy known as franchising. You know, franchising. It's when a business basically gives someone else the right to operate their company using its products and branding in exchange for a franchise fee. So Blimpy tried it. They sold their first franchise to a friend, which at first seemed like a good idea. It helped their friends and gave everyone a chance to get into the sandwich business. But, Liebig says, they weren't very methodical about the way they franchised. The money wasn't coming in. So initially, the business was gangbusters, but they weren't seeing a lot of that money. They were losing a lot of money because they didn't really understand how to run a franchising operation. They were bleeding money, but as Liebig says, we should put ourselves in Kanza's shoes. So he was ambitious and he pushed. He pushed that envelope. He leaned in on growth and expanding and he did it very fast. And while that's exciting, that can cause problems. The major problem, they were going too fast and not paying too much attention to the quality of the franchise. But Kanza was kind of desperate. And so inside, there may be a lot of turmoil. This is a guy who has to realize, okay, if this doesn't work, this all goes away. So he realizes he's almost in a panic mode. Everything he's built, the brand, they've spread out now across America, they could lose it all. And so that is a tremendous amount of pressure. That's a tremendous amount of pressure. So they did something incredibly risky. They sold their original stores to stay in business. It was an incredibly desperate move. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. If they don't sell, Blimpy probably stops existing. But if they do, they have an opportunity. They have a razor thin margin to make it through and keep this thing going. And they did what they had to do. It worked, at least for a while. Kanza just wanted to expand. He saw expansion as the key to business. But of course, he wanted to stay in business. Tony Kanza was like, let's just sell more franchises because that's what we have to do. That's our cash flow. We have to increase our franchise fees, so we just need more franchises. So his answer was really to expand, expand, expand. They kept expanding. Anyone who wanted a franchise got one. The good news was they could basically corner the market. But there were some serious downsides to their strategy. One major one, weren't actually making money. That went to the franchises. Their cash flow came from the franchise fees. That's it. Plus, with all these different franchises, Kanza and DiCarlo couldn't control the quality of their product. They didn't have a whole lot of rules or standards. Even the menus varied from shop to shop. They didn't spend a lot of time vetting their franchises. They had sort of given franchises to whoever would sign up for a franchise, and they didn't really monitor them. They didn't really check with who was running it. So there was not a lot of consistency in management or in cleanliness or product, you know. And so these guys started to have really bad reputations. This left their reputation in freefall. Sales began plummeting. And all the while, there was another company nipping at their heels. Subway. Dave Holmes again. Blimpy gained in popularity and they just started to grow and grow and grow without a thought to maybe we're growing too quickly. Whereas Subway kind of did the slow and steady route, right? Like they, like just one location here and there and here and there. Uh, and now Subways are everywhere and Blimpies are 
almost nowhere. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. With Blimpies barely hanging on as the leader in the world of subs, another company was on the way to sub-stardom, Subway. This new restaurant, which opened its doors in 1965, was gaining a lot of steam. A big part of that was allowing customers to customize their own sandwich. This was a big deal for lunchgoers who'd never had made-to-order options before. It made Subway competitive. The company was neck and neck with Blimpy, bringing sub-sandwiches to the lunch table across the nation. So Tony Kanza, you know, is suddenly looking over his shoulder and saying, oh, wait a second, someone's figured out what we're doing. They're going to start doing it too. He's got to feel threatened. Blimpy was fighting back, hard. And its owners did their part to keep Blimpy out of financial trouble. Until the trouble came from within. Peter DiCarlo and Tony Kanza have different ideas about where they want to take Blimpy. Carlo wanted to focus on the locations that already existed. What Peter wanted to do was really what I call sticking with the girl that you brought to the dance, right? But Kanza wanted to go big, even if it was risky. Tony wants to expand. He wants to bring the idea of Blimpy to the masses. Both were fine ideas, of course, but they weren't compatible. You couldn't expand and contract. So in 1976, they made the call. They'd split up. But much like a divorce, they took custody of various stores. Kanza owned some, DiCarlo others. Now, by himself, Kanza opened 200 franchises in uncharted territory around the South. Take that, Subway. But about that same time, suddenly Subway has 250. And so there's almost like this prize fighter, you know, round after round, year after year. They're both growing. But the joint custody, not so good. In fact, it was kind of a recipe for disaster. First of all, there was no way to keep these franchises consistent. Plus, they kind of needed each other. Kanza needed his details guy. DiCarlo needed a partner with big ideas. And it was kind of hard to fight Subway without a partner. It turned out Subway was so much of a threat that the two didn't stay separated for long. Subway is just going to completely devour them, you know, and, and pun intended. So they realized that the best defense is a good offense, but they also need to come together. They need a unified vision. And they can only do that by coming back together. And they do. Their time apart made them even closer. 
They're going to be able to have some consistency, which they have desperately needed. Not even just between the two of them, but even amongst stores within each franchise base. So now suddenly they're getting a consistency of look, of menu. With this breakup in the rear view, the two started getting their ducks in a row, starting to work towards becoming a better company by monitoring the quality of the franchises and making sure there was some sort of quality control and uniformity across their stores. They wanted to fix the mistakes they'd made in the past. In 1984, Kanza had a radical idea. McDonald's has the Big Mac. Burger King has the Whopper. They come up with something called the Blimpy's Best, which is really, uh, you know, it's, it's still the, the salad and a sandwich, but it's now it's got a lot of meat. The Blimpy's Best, their own signature Sammy. So it's just loaded with meat, and it's delicious. And it's this big foot-long sandwich, and it's, uh, it's something they're going to be able to go out there, Blimpy's Best. It's got that nice alliteration. It's got a great name. It's a catchy name. So they're going to use that to become their signature sandwich that they're going to sell to America. And it works. It's a, it was a good idea. Then they took a page out of Subway's playbook. One of the big innovations that Subway had was this idea to customize. So a customer would come in and just say, I want this ingredient, I want this ingredient, I want this ingredient, which was fairly unusual at the time. And Blimby's like, well... I guess we can do that too, if that's going to be popular. And they do. And it was popular. You could really have it your own way. Don't like pickles? No problem. Want extra olives? We'll make it happen. What Subway and Blimpy allowed the American public to do was to also create their own sandwiches. With uh, all the toppings and the meats and the vegetables, you can go in and create whatever it is that you wanted. The changes worked. By 1987, they had 300 shops around the country. Ed Moon is the chef instructor at the Culinary Institute of New York at Monroe College. He knows how innovative this was. They gave you a sandwich that was already pre-constructed, pre-conceived. But Subway and Blimpy allowed you to go in and pick and choose whatever it is that you wanted to put on the sandwich. And even choose the bread. Then Blimpy had another great idea. The Blimpy Kiosk. A lot of convenience stores, gas stations, uh, because of the anti-tobacco movement, a lot of lawsuits, they're selling less cigarettes, people are smoking less, and they're losing a huge, these convenience stores are losing this income of selling cigarettes, and they're looking for new business opportunities. Hansa wanted to offer his sandwich at gas stations and convenience stores, totally uncharted territory. Communities that never had a blimpy could now have access to it. It was a shrewd business decision. There was low overhead, just a little bit of shelf space and a small oven. It allowed them to expand strategically. Blimpy was back in the game. By 1998, Blimpy was reportedly making more than $300 million in sales. They were advertising. In fact, there's this 1997 commercial where Kanza's running on the beach, dressed in a full tailored suit. Behind him, waves are crashing. He's running towards something. It's a life-size sub-sandwich. The Blimpy Blast, six feet of choice meats, real dairy cheese, freshly baked bread, enough to satisfy up to 40 people, or just one. Blimpy, it's a beautiful thing. Liebig says things changed around 2002. So there comes a point, they've got their 2,000 stores, this thing is running, and Kanza realizes, you know what? He can step away. He's built this business, and, you know, he's achieved his dream. And so he does. So what's the takeaway? Some, like Jason Liebig, say Blimpy couldn't keep up. But 
that's okay. Their idea was revolutionary, but it couldn't compete with sandwich giant Subway. It's like, you think you've got a great idea. Don't think that someone else isn't going to realize what you've got and come up and just take it and do it better, faster, quicker, cheaper. Is Blimpy gone? No, Blimpy's not gone. Um, Are they down and out? They're down. I wouldn't even say they're out. They're just now a different business. In 2020, Blimpy had 300 franchises around the U.S. and abroad. And notably, Tony Conza got his dream. He and DiCarlo brought convenience and big sandwiches into Americans' lives. So where is it now? They may be down. They may not be number one. But they'll always be the company that brought America the sum. If you like this podcast, then you'll love watching the Food That Built America TV series on the History Channel. Go to history.com to find out how you can watch the Food That Built America today. The Food That Built America is hosted by me, Jonathan Hirsch. At the History Channel, our executive producers are Jesse Katz, Mary Donahue, and Jim Pascarella. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. From Neon Hum Media, our executive producer is me. The series is produced by Muna Danish and Kate Mishkin. Our associate producers are Chloe Chobel and Rufaro Faith. Our editor is Maura Waltz. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Alexis Martinez is our podcast coordinator. Sam Baer and Josh Hahn are our mix engineers. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. And fact-checking by Naomi Barr. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.